Let's pray. Lord, first this morning before we celebrate 11 years worth of uh, Crosspoint and anticipate what you have in store in the future, we want to pray for our fellow churches in this community. Lord, we want to pray for a spirit of hope and um, success and your greatness and your fame and renown and your glory through those churches in this community. Or we think about years ago the, what some might perceive as a spirit of competition. Or we have to give you the glory that things feel differently now in year 11, year 10 and 11 than they did years ago. And whether we've changed or whether the spirit of the the church in this community has changed. Something has changed and we give you the glory. Lord, we want great things through the other churches in this community for your name's sake and for your glory. We want a spirit of like-mindedness, a spirit of hope, a spirit of cooperation, eagerness for each other's success for your name's sake. Lord, we call it a privilege we count it a privilege to weekly lift up, lift up other churches in our community. And today we lift them up collectively for those who believe in Christ as your son, crucified and risen, seated at your right hand. For those who agree with us in a triune God, Lord, we pray for their greatness for your namesake because you're great. Lord, also this morning... I want to pray specifically for those who are no longer with us. Not praying for those who've been lost or who, who have gone to sleep in you or gone to be with you because we don't need to pray for them. They, if anything, are better off than any of us, like Bill, Billy Vaughn. Lord, I'm talking about those that are no longer with us because they've moved or for other various reasons, Lord. We pray for those, for example, those that have moved, Lord, we pray that that they are walking with you and enjoying you. We pray that they are part of a, a body of believers. We pray that the investment that we had in them or the time that we had to walk with them is time that you'll use in their lives. Lord, for those who aren't with us for other reasons, Lord, we pray that you would always and continue to, continue to be at work in their hearts for various situations, various reasons, that they would be part of a local body. And if they should specifically be part again of this local body, Lord, we pray that you would work that. Lord, two, we are thankful this morning for those who are with us still. How many Sundays did we lift up our sister Christian? And we celebrate today that she is with us here in this worship center today. You are good and gracious. Thank you so much for your ministry to that family, through that family your continued healing in Christian's life. We call it a privilege to be part of that journey and part of their lives. And lastly, this morning, before we get into our message, Lord, I pray for our families in this church. I'm so thankful for what you've done in these last 11 years, 10 and 11 years, in families, and how you've given a view to ministry within the doors of the home between Sundays, and how that is fan the flame of a corporate journey together. God, we are thankful for that ministry. 
We pray that you would continue to do the same in these next 10. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I know I'm praying as I'm trying, sitting here trying to figure out, is it 10 years or 11 years? This summer, Christy and I will have been here 11 years, or I guess this August we'll have been here 11 years. So we sort of think of the story of Crosspoint uh, going along our story. Um, I, I'll just, I, I thought I would take a moment to sort of share the Crosspoint story with you this morning. I told Christy just yesterday, we were talking about the plan for today. I, she's my sounding board on a lot of these sermons and my plans. And I told her every time I share this Crosspoint story with somebody, I get a real attentiveness and a real eye contact from long-term members and folks that are even considering membership or visiting for the first time. And it, for some reason, it's very interesting to folks to know where we came from or to know what our story is if they're visiting with us. So I thought I would just take a minute to short, sort of share the Crosspoint story. And then I have a very brief message. It is, um, I, feel I, I feel I owe you brief brevity after last Sunday that was... Um, I didn't get any of the, the, the visual feedback from you last Sunday that last Sunday was, due, was, was an hour and a half. I, you know, next time I order pizza or something, if I see pizza delivered, I'll know that, okay, it's time to land the plane. I didn't see anybody sleeping. I didn't see any uh, pillows out or anything like that. So, um, but this Sunday, I promise you, I promised you brevity, and I think it's short but important. Uh, a little short message in some ways, sermonette almost about what membership is biblically. What does it mean? So Crosspoint. It's probably 11 years ago at this point that I met with the pastor, then pastor of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, Sam Douglas. I was finishing up seminary in Fort Worth, and um, Sam was looking for a pastor for a church plant in Greenville. I didn't really even know where Greenville was. I didn't know what a church plant was. I was finishing up seminary. I wanted to pastor a church. That's all I knew. So I met with Sam and didn't hear from Sam for months after that. So I thought, well, that must not have gone well. I, I, weren't all, I didn't put all my eggs in that basket. It was just part of my journey there. I heard a guy was looking for a pastor of a mission church. So I met with him. And then meanwhile, things are moving forward with Travis, Travis Avenue Baptist Church, where we were attending and where we were members while we lived in Fort Worth. Christy and I were at the point we were meeting with the pastor and the associate pastor about taking on a ministry position, a staff position there at Travis Avenue Baptist Church. And uh, we met with them, and just something sort of tapped the brakes. Something gave us a check of, of, of agreeing to a position there on the spot. We felt like we needed to pray about it. We felt like we needed to consider that. So we went home, and, and that afternoon we got a call from Sam Douglas just out of nowhere. And I'm like, man, what, you know. It's supposed to make things clear and easy. And then we get this phone call from Sam Douglas, and Sam is saying, hey, I would like for you to come out to Greenville and take a look at the ministry that we have out here that is looking for a pastor. So we, uh, I actually said no, and we hung up, and then Christy and I were talking, and I didn't say no. I mean, it was more than that. I wasn't just no. <laughs> I gave a little more explanation than that. And then Christy and I were talking afterwards, and you know, we were like, you know, we should go out there and see what we're saying no to. We should have some idea what that is before we say, oh, I don't think God's in that. So he cleared his schedule the next day. We got in the car the next day. Christy was so close to having Daniel, we actually traveled with our video camera. And it still makes me laugh to this day. I don't know what we thought we would do with a video camera. I guess if we got stuck in traffic, we would video the birth. Like, why in the world would we do that? I mean, we should have traveled with rags and hot water, I guess, or something like that. Better than a video camera. 
But anyway, we, we, we spent the next day out here. This was August, or June or July, something like that. Dana wasn't born, so probably June of 2003. And uh, we spent the day with Sam driving all over Greenville, kind of taking in the context. And something that a few things that were really surprising to me is the mother church is about a mile away. Ridgecrest Baptist Church is right up the road. Something else that was interesting to me are the number of churches in Greenville. Now, if you're thinking about business models, now the church planting is not business. This is proof of that. But if you're thinking about business models, you're not going to start a business in a place that is super saturated with that business. That's just not a good idea. So we're, I mean, that's the first thing we're thinking about as we're driving home. Did you see the number of churches in that community? And what on earth is going on with the mother church a mile away from where their pastor wants to start a new church? But we went home and we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we felt like, man, I don't know why in the world, but we feel like we should go be part of that work for a while, maybe. Kind of a thought that, you know, it'll be maybe our first pastorate was my mindset. So we moved out here August of that year, July, August time frame, and we started in the book of John. <laughs> I think the first sermon was in, was in uh, Ephesians, but then the next passages from that point on, or the next sermons, were actually I preached through the Ten Commandments, and then we started John. So that was, that was the earliest days. And there were five families here. We started with five families, six counting the McGraws. And there, were only, uh, there was only one baby, that was Daniel. There were a couple little toddlers, the Collins little kids. So for those, those of you that know Jeff and Darcy, their kids were just tiny, or some of them were tiny. And then the other families, one of the families was one guy, the, the Moody's were here as well. And it was just a tiny little huddle, really, of us starting out saying, okay, we don't have uh, the answers. We don't have a big master plan. We're just going to sort of preach through the Bible and endeavor to walk in what we're hearing or endeavor to obey and follow through on what we're hearing week by week. So we started that in 2003 of August, and then slowly, a family at a time, the Lord began to grow this church. I think the Wades were one of our first families that joined. They were the first family that officially walked down an aisle. We did that years ago. I didn't know what to do when they came down the aisle. It scared me to death. But they came down the aisle and joined. And then it was family after family. And here we are 11 years later, 10 years later, 11 years later, depending on where you officially start this whole thing. And right now, I asked Aaron the other day, I said, can you look down our membership roles? It's not a number that I keep handy. I said, what, what, are, what are we sitting at right now? Families. How many families do we have as member families in our church? And at that point on that day, this was just a week and a half or so ago, 100 families are in this church right now. Now, y'all know we're not head counters. You know we're not, you know, we're, it's not a feather in our cap to have 300 families. Or, that's, that's not what we're about. We're wanting to be faithful. But when we take a little snapshot and look back and see what God did with five families and how he multiplied that and during that 11-year period that he planted a church in commerce that's healthy and vibrant, man, we've got to enjoy that together that we've been part of that. That's, that's something that God needs to get the glory for and something that he does because I think something that I enjoy in this 10 or 11-year journey is that we didn't have a big master plan. God, in his faithfulness, grew this church. It wasn't long after we came that Scott and Lindsay came. It wasn't long after that that Brad and Christy came. And then family after family. And then 
Deacons were called. Elders were called. Deacons were called. Shepherds are shepherding. Small groups are formed. And then before long, we've got this living, organic thing that's bigger than any one of us where God gets the glory. And no, no individual, no personality is center front or centerpiece and forefront in that whole thing. God gets the glory week after week. If there's anything that's happened in the last 10 or 11 years is there have been this, this often um, periodic revealing of don't put your faith in that guy or that guy or that guy. We can only put our faith in Christ alone. And we can only give him glory for what he's done here in the last 10 or 11 years. So those of us that have been with us, or those of you that have been with us for some period of time, you know that no one gets the glory in this whole thing except the Lord. And that's the way I think it ought to be. He takes the foolish things that confound the wise. So if you're thinking that there's been a, a master plan and some you know, amazing uh, leadership or even anything like that, then, then you need to know he takes the foolish things that confound the wise. And that's true, been true here for 11 years at Crosspoint. It's in spite of us that he's grown this church to 100 families. I love that because he gets the glory for it. Now, as far as the message goes, and again, I promise you it's going to be brief. I have, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six passages that I'm going to have you look at this morning. And we're going to look at them just very quickly. And then we're going to land the plane. Okay? The first passage you can turn to is at Ephesians 4. As you're turning there, I want to share just a couple thoughts with you about membership. Years ago, whenever we kind of started this thing and a leadership, a little, little body of leadership was forming pre-elder, we had a group of leadership that we called staff bearers. We hadn't appointed elders yet. We hadn't appointed deacons yet. But we had sort of a group of leadership that we called staff bearers. It was a fledgling leadership body in our, in our church, early leadership body. I shouldn't say fledgling, early, early. And one of the things that we talked together and dreamt together about was membership actually meaning something. That it wasn't just a trip down an aisle, only filling out a card, and only being on some roll in some dusty file cabinet. But that membership should mean something. And we even thought together and dreamt together, what if we actually put together something called a covenant? And we're like, oh, I don't know. That's a lot to ask of people. And people don't like to have lots of asks of them. And then we went the other direction and realized, you know what? People don't leave because too little has been asked of them or too much has been asked of them. It's usually the opposite. People leave something because too little has been asked of them, at least in my experience. Something that means something is absolutely going to have some level of commitment and some level of involvement. So we put together this membership covenant that hopefully all of you or most of you received. And if you didn't, you can find that online or we can get you a copy putting together five things that we felt like the church should be. And then we thought, wow, okay, we got this membership covenant. And then what if we actually every year renewed our commitment to each other and to our God and had a membership renewal? And what if a family that didn't renew was no longer part of our membership? And what if some, some that had been traveling with us or moving with us or walking with us at a period of time, what if this was something that gave them a yearly glimpse of this is what membership means to us? Then we thought, okay, let's do that too. And it might mean that we're terminally small, but that's not our business, that's God's. And I don't think proof in this room is that that's landed on terminally small. But we had all those thoughts early on. We don't know. I mean, we don't really have a... None of us had really come from backgrounds or contexts where they had a membership renewal. I hadn't even been in a church that had a membership covenant 
But we thought this is what the Bible seems to be communicating is a level of involvement and a level of commitment and a level of engagement in each other's lives that's more than a dusty file cabinet with a little card inside with your name on it. So we said, all right, let's do it. It'll absolutely leave the whole thing up to him, growth and commitment and involvement. But we can just hope to be, endeavor to be faithful in whatever little yearly commitment that we can make to each other. So we launched off in this to this membership covenant, membership renewal, believing that membership should mean something. There are a few passages. I, I actually had about 15 passages. So just know that I, I really worked at this thing being brief. And I said, all right, I'm going to cut this thing down to about five or six. So um, there, there, is, there are a lot of passages that show us clues to membership. There's no one passage that absolutely reveals everything having to do with membership. There's no one passage that says, thou shalt be a member of a church. Okay? Putting that out there. But if we're wise readers of our Bible, if we're wise interpreters, then we can look for clues that help us sort of piece together something that's true. The Trinity is a great example of that. We piece together clues where we see persons of the Trinity and we say there is a Trinity and we believe in it. So here we land on membership and here's a few passages to, um, to show us glimpses of that. There are three passages. The first three passages we're going to look at have to do with leading and following. The next two passages have to do with gifting. And the last passage has to do with accountability. So we're just looking at three things that have to do with membership today. Leading and following, gifting, and accountability. First, leading and following, beginning in chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins with with sort of uh, uh, an encouragement to be one in the body of Christ. It's written to a church, and it's written to people that may have a variety of backgrounds. There might be Jew and Gentile in this church, and Paul is encouraging them to be like-minded and to be unified. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, I'm going to start in verse 9, or actually, yeah, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts to captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, what I want, to, I want you to pay attention to what these gifts are. In saying he ascended, this is sort of a weird passage I'm going to just leave out. It's, it's important, but it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm reading. In verse 11, he gave, here's the gifts. He gave apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, who are these gifts given to? If you're a wise interpreter, if you're reading passages, there's no language there that says thou shalt be a member of a church. Or church, if you're going to be faithful, you should have a membership Um, sort of role or membership approach. But when you begin to read a passage like that, you you have to ask questions like, who are these gifts given to? And who is the body exactly? Are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher given to Greenville? Are those given to just a community? Or are those given to a body of believers? Are they given to Christians in a community? Or are they given to a body of believers that, has fa- that have faces that know each other, that are involved in each other's lives? Is this pastor teacher given to Christian X in a community or to a particular body of believers? Now, turn to Hebrews 13. I told you we wouldn't spend long on each of these passages. 
Hebrews 13. Hebrews, we're very familiar with, having spent a couple of years there. Hebrews is a sermon, in many ways, written to a church. Likely the Christian or the Jewish Christian church in Rome. And here in chapter 13, verse 17, the Hebrews preacher says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If there is no biblical basis for membership, then who exactly are believers to submit to? If you see somebody in Greenville wearing a collar, is that someone that you are to submit to? How are you to identify the leader in your life if there's this sort of general free-flowing Christian organic view of Christianity in a community? How would you even submit to someone? How would they even communicate what their leadership movement is? What are you submitting to apart from a concept of biblical membership? And on that, on that same note, in that same passage, which souls will I be accountable for? If I'm going to give account for souls, is it going to be souls that are just random Christian souls in my community? I hope not. Man, I hope it's folks that I know who know me, that I see week in, week out, that I can walk with, that can walk with me. If you think about this passage, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it's hard to imagine this passage playing out at all apart from a concept of membership, apart from a body that's part of each other's lives in a meaningful, consistent, accountable way. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's just a few pages over to your right. 1 Peter chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. Import some of the thoughts that we've already considered this morning. The gifts given to men or the gifts given to the church. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor teacher. The pastor teacher fits into who this elder is right here. And here, Peter is exhorting or encouraging the elders among the diaspora over the Roman Empire. As a fellow elder, Peter is considering himself himself a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. You elders out there in the Roman Empire that are shepherding churches, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That passage screams of a committed 
regular, consistent involvement in each other's lives where elders know their sheep and know their flock, where the flock knows the sheep, where the younger are being subject to the elders. That sounds like an accountable involvement in each other's lives. Now, you have to ask the question when you consider biblical membership. Is there a case for biblical membership? Who are the elders to know and shepherd? It's got to be people that they're walking with in a consistent way. And can elders and can a flock know each other if there's not some sort of accountability and consistency and commitment to know and be known? You have to ask yourself those sorts of questions if you're a wise reader and a wise interpreter of God's Word. Now turn to Romans 12. Those three passages have to do with leadership and following. Now look at Romans 12. This has to do with gifting. Romans 12 is not the only passage in our Bibles on gifting and the various gifts in the church, but it's one that nicely sort of um, captures the essence of it. And then a few pages over, I think you'll see a nice connection when we think of gifting. Let's begin in verse 3 of chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. When you read a passage like that and you see these gifts that are being exercised, serving, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, uh, giving, leading, acts of mercy, you have to ask the question, okay, who are the ones who are, who, are, who are doing the gifts and who are on the receiving end of the gifts? This passage and other passages that deal with gifting in our body or in this, in this Bible have to do with those gifts being exercised on members of the body and building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 is another beautiful passage that you, have, you read that and you have to say, how can this be accomplished apart from a, a consistent, regular involvement, accountable involvement in each other's lives? Where the gifts are expressed and the gifts are received. Now, turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 16. Beginning in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Aponatus, who is the first convert in Christ. 
to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, a fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. This passage goes on and on and on, naming people by name. Rufus. They're hard. They're difficult. Asyncritus. Phlegon. Hermes. Petrobus. Hermas. Philogolus. Julia, Nereus, passage after passage of real people with real names that sound like they're part of each other's lives in meaningful ways. And I wonder if these people didn't have a view of just a few chapters earlier where Paul is writing about gifting and various gifting in the church, where these gifts aren't being expressed by these very people on these very people. And if those gifts were the things that God used to sort of bring them together and build them up into one body where they knew each other, they knew each other's names, they heard each other's names, and they knew the ministry that was connected to those names. It sounds like a body of believers that's part of each other's lives in a committed, meaningful way. Now, the last one's tricky. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. The first few passages I read had to do with leadership or leading and following. The next couple of passages I read had to do with gifting, the expression of gifts and the receiving of gifts and the building up of a body. And this passage probably is the strongest case for membership in our bodies, at least connects to the concept of accountability. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This letter is written to the church in Corinth. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. A real man, we don't know his name, had his real father's real wife. I want you to connect to this passage and realize this is a a letter written to real people really doing life together, involved in each other's lives in meaningful or not ways, and not being the case here. A man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. How can you have the concept of membership or the, the concept of church apart from an accountable mindset that says how, how, how is somebody going to be removed from something unless they're part of something? How is somebody going to be accountable to something unless they're part of something? For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you, you church, real people involved in real life, in each other's lives in real meaningful ways, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting church that's involved in each other's lives in meaningful ways, and in this case, not faithful ways, your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really, as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, hereby practice, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Man, that passage right there is probably the strongest single passage that makes the case in our Bibles for membership. The concept that's clear in that passage is accountability. Involvement in each other's lives in meaningful, accountable ways. There's responsibility that's implied in that passage to submit to one another and to hold each other accountable. We believe as a church when we say each year, I covenant to be part of your life and I covenant that you'll be part of my life in meaningful ways. We are saying, I want to be part of your life in a way that you will hold me accountable. Man, to me, this... Years ago, I'll tell you, and over the years, this has been something that we sort of kind of, I want to make sure that somebody may not understand church discipline. They might hear that and go, I don't want to be part of something like that. That sounds scary. Here in year 10 and 11 for me, what sounds scary to me is be part of a church where this is not going on. That's scary because it means nobody has my back. If I get duped by Satan, fooled by Satan, into thinking a young filly at uh, Tractor Supply is my future, I'm thankful that i got a room full of men that will have their Bibles in hand and say, Ben McGraw, I appeal to you to repent from this. I appeal to you to come back to Christ, to come back to his people, to come back to your bride, to come back to your family. Satan has duped you. Man, that to me, that's the sweetest, sweetest privilege or the sweetest joy of membership, knowing that I have your back and that you have mine. And that y'all have each other's back. Man. Now, we're in a different context in the New Testament church. We share a lot of the same things, a lot of the same struggles. But I mean a different context in terms of access to other churches. In the New Testament context, when a letter was written to a church, it may be going to that particular church body. We know of some letters that went to churches in an area. I can't remember if it's Galatians or Philippians. To the churches in Galatia or to the churches in Philippi. But we've got to know without cars, without highways, that you likely were part of the church that was closest to you. And there probably wasn't, like in our case, in our community, whenever we came to to Greenville, we looked on the Chamber of Commerce website and found that there were 98 Christian churches in Greenville, Texas. This was 11 years ago. I don't know how many there are now. I haven't counted it. 
98 Christian churches serving 25,000 people in the proper Greenville area, 75,000 in the, in the surrounding area. And here we are looking at, man, are we supposed to go to Greenville with that many churches? We're in a very different context here in Greenville than their context because there weren't a lot of choices for them of where to go to church. There wasn't, in, like in our context, a buffet of churches. In Greenville, there's a buffet of churches of the type of personality that's preaching each week. If, you, if, if I rub you raw, you can find somebody else that probably won't. That won't be hard. If you don't like our music, you can find somebody else that you'll probably like. If you don't like someone personally, you can very easily just turn a different direction in your car and land at another church on another morning where that church is just going to embrace you and say, we are so glad you're here. We're in a unique context, or at least different, I should say, from the New Testament context, in that we are in a context of a buffet of styles, personalities, and even a buffet of messages. Now, if you're here because you left another church, I want to set, yourself for, or set you free in something. If you're here because you left another church because you were malnourished, underfed, and you felt like, man, there's got to be more to this than a weekly call down the aisle, then, man, I say you're here for really good reason. If you're here, though, because someone rubbed you raw, because someone, there was a personality or personalities you didn't like in the last church that you were in. And you may have left just when it was getting good. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I'm not sure I want to renew this year because some people kind of bother me. Man, I'm telling you, st- stick with it and stay the course. Things are just now getting good. Don't jump to the buffet and move on to the next course. Because it's when things start to get complicated and difficult and you get to know other people and you realize, man, everybody's normal until you get to know them. And then you feel like, realize there's a church full of other people that are just sort of odd and weird and needy and frail like me. Man, don't bail on that. Because when you continue in that, that's when things are just, just getting good. Your heart is going to be revealed in that. If you persist and continue to move with a church like that, not leaving the last one for theological reasons, and not leaving this one, and we're not talking about theological reasons. Okay, if you left, for the, left the last one for that reason, that's a, sort of a different situation. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're sitting here, man, I think I'm kind of on the bubble this year. I'm not sure I'm going to re- renew this thing. I encourage you, stay the course because your heart is being revealed. You have an opportunity to extend grace and to give some folks some margin just as you need grace and margin if you continue to stay the course. If you bail and move down the buffet, then man, you're missing out just when it's getting good. I hope you understand the distinguishing Effort or the effort I made to distinguish there between theological issues. There's a good reason to leave a church if you hear stuff that's not true preached or you don't hear stuff that's true preached from the pulpit. But even in that case, I would encourage you to endeavor to impact the preacher and to impact the leadership and encourage them that you're hungry. Encourage them that they need to expose God's word. But man... 
If you're here just because somebody rubbed you raw, then maybe you ought not be here. Maybe you ought to be back there walking in the gospel, extending grace and receiving grace from that person or from that family or from that leadership. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, I'm not sure I can go the distance in 2014, 2015 because somebody's rubbed me raw. I say, man, it's just getting good. Stick with it. We believe membership is a way to clearly communicate, I'm with you and you're with me. I've got your back and you've got my back. Who are, who's leading? Who's following? Membership answers that question. And two, we're endeavoring, if you filled out your paperwork this year and you brought that this morning, this paper, paperwork that we haven't done in the past, asking questions about your gifting, that's something that's on our radar right now, is helping you understand and discover what your spiritual gifting is here in this next year. Because that's, how some, that's something that you can use for the building up of the body. And in the area of accountability, we believe membership answers that question. I'm with you and you're with me. We have each other's back. We want God's best for each other. We need each other. My gifts are for you and yours are for me. Membership is a good thing. There's a strong biblical case for it. And I'm thankful that God has given us a view of that. And I pray that he'll continue to shape that for us in the next few years. Let me pray. God, whatever insight we have into membership and what we believe your intent is for our involvement, our engagement, our accountability, our participation in each other's lives, we believe that that has come from you. I'm thankful that we haven't conjured it up. I'm thankful that we haven't read some book. We're not following some instructions on how we should do membership that is coming from your book we're seeing example after example of the early church being involved in each other's lives in meaningful, accountable ways. Lord, we pray that we will be that, we will continue to be that, and you will continue to grow that in these next few years. We're thankful for the chance this morning to stop down and just consider the importance of membership. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn it over to Scott. Where are you? There you go.